The summer tourism season has come to a close, and the National Park Service is coming up for air after record-shattering attendance. How some major changes may be coming to the way you visit national parks on this week's episode of RV Miles. everybody and welcome to the RV Miles podcast, your home for RV news, reviews, travel guides and more. I'm Jason and I'm Abby and this is episode 12 of the RV Miles podcast for Thursday, October 12th, 2017. If you want to find today's show notes, you can do so at rvmiles.com slash episode 12. You can also keep up with RV Miles on social media at Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And if you're interested in following along, with Jason, I, and our three boys, Jack, Ethan, and Henry. We are over at OurWanderingFamily.com, and we are also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. On this episode of the podcast, we are going to talk about Mammoth Cave. Deep, deep underground. One of the favorite destinations we've been to this year. Absolutely. We're going to talk about roadside assistance for RVers and all the different types of services that are available to you. Which we know a little bit about because we've used it a couple of times. <laughs> and we're also going to get started with a little bit of news. There is an article in the New York Times by Julie Turkowitz, and it's titled National Park Struggle with a Mounting Crisis too many visitors. And what I found really interesting about this article is just some of the numbers that she gives. We'll link to this in the show notes, and it's really worth going and giving a read. But she talks about how in 2016, the National Park Service had set a record of 331 million visitors total and that they expect this year for the number to be higher. In fact, in August alone, they had over 40 million people through National Park Service gates. And we're just talking about the 59 parks. This is not taking into account the historical sites or the national monuments. This is literally the 59 parks. 331 million people went through last year. 40 million people in August of 2017 alone. So... Really, this article focuses on Zion National Park, and it has some pictures in there that were taken by Ruth Fremson of the population in the summer at the park, the people in the park. This is a big in-depth feature article. It really is. And the reason why it caught our eye is because it talks about one of the park managers at Zion. Many of the park managers at Zion actually are considering for the first ever requiring reservations for entry. Now, I have a little bit of mixed feelings about this. I understand the need for it because clearly conservation and protection of the parks is becoming an issue. And they talk a lot about some of the things that are happening in Zion that are leading them to want to do this. There's a photo on here of tourists in one of the Zion shuttle bus just crammed in like sardines or like kids' faces pressed up against the window. (laughs) Not exactly the way you want to experience a national park, especially if it's your first time. You know, when you think of a national park, you think of being able to go for peace and quiet and being a part of nature. And certainly everyone, it's amazing that everyone wants to do that, right? It's amazing that 331 million people wanted to do that last year, but that's becoming harder and harder to do when 331 million people are doing it. And a lot of that is happening in those condensed summer months, which as full-time travelers, and we get to enjoy, I think, some of these parks when they're not as popular, but not everyone gets to do that. And so they get this small window of time that they can go and experience a park and they're experiencing it with like 10,000 of their best friends, you know? So the article itself is really interesting. The decision for required entry will come reserved and excuse me reserved reserved entry entry. will come in 2018 now whether or not that just applies to zion because zion was the most popular park last year in 2016 they anticipate it'll be the same in 2017 they're the biggest increase yes yeah we don't know 
but they are discussing whether or not this will across the board be something that happens at all 59 parks or, or the or or the parks that need it. You know, or the parks that at need the it. times of year that they might need it. Yeah, they also talked a little bit about some of these issues um, happening in Yosemite, happening in Acadia, and certainly I'm sure you know we've talked a little bit about Yellowstone. We had an episode a while back where we talked about the increase of population or the increase of visitors at Yellowstone over the summer. So I think this is going to be really interesting to follow its development. You know. Um, you always think about just being able to show up into your national park and go in and experience at any any time that the moment is you are so moved to do so. And if you end up showing up and they're like, mm, sorry, <laughs> you don't have a reservation for today. You can't get in. I have mixed feelings about that. But I also understand what's happening in our parks. We have to protect those parks. That's the most important piece. And then everything else has to fall in line with that. And so more people want to be in the park. You might have to reserve in advance to get into Zion next year. We'll have to see. This also ties in a bit with the fact that the RV industry is lobbying the government hard. Really hard. To privatize and expand services in a lot of the national park campgrounds. And yeah. You know, and there are positives and, and, and negatives to that. But the secretary has said that he has no interest in running campgrounds. And he has an advisory board that is composed of a lot of different stakeholders, including members of the RV industry. But what is not on this board is anybody representing the consumers. So I think there are a lot of concerns going around that privatization of some of the national park services like campgrounds, especially with the the amount of visitors coming in now, could cause us to have a lot higher fees. Well, we've already seen a raise in fees when it comes to the senior access pass this year going up from, was it $10 a person to 80? And 80 lifetime is still 80 lifetime is still great, but that's an 800% increase. When you have concessionaires running uh, all the campgrounds in one national park, it's a little bit of a monopoly. And, you know, we see that with Reserve America. Reserve America is a website that takes all the reservations for most of the national park campgrounds out there. Yeah, and I really wish someone at Reserve America would get on their Reserve America app and try to <laughs> try to reserve reserve something because it needs a massive overhaul. The website's <laughs> decent, but the Website's app is fine. terrible. Reserve America is a private company, and when you make a reservation, you're paying Reserve America a fee to make that reservation. Even if you just show up at a campground, usually you often mm-hmm. still have to pay a reservation fee. And that's okay if the service is great and maybe if there's a little bit of competition, but when one company has a hold on all of that, then fees can be high and there is less need for stellar customer service and all that sort of stuff. Right. I think it's no secret that our National Park Service is kind of facing a bit of an identity crisis right now. I think that it's also no secret that a lot of awareness and discussion about protecting our parks is happening. And that, I think, is increasing the amount of people going to the parks. They want to show their support for these parks. They want to be in these parks. And I think for us as uh, travelers, as lovers of the national parks, personally, it'll be really interesting to see how this shakes down. But I also think over the next, well, gosh, I can't put a timeline on it, but I don't think this will be the last time we talk about changes happening to our National Park Service on this podcast. No, it won't. And it'll be interesting. I think the Park Service, the the winter is the easier season for them. They're going to take some time to review policies and make some changes for next year because they have to, because things are getting damaged. Yes. They don't have enough. They don't have enough people to protect. I mean, it almost feels like the turn of the 20th century again, when everyone was struggling to protect the small little grouping of parks before the National Park Service was founded, because there were people who loved the park, but they just perhaps weren't respecting it in the way 
that it needs to be respected and there weren't enough people to help educate. And the same thing with the privatization. It would, at that time, the federal government was not putting any, they were making national parks, but not putting any money into them. So private companies were building camps right next to Old Faithful yeah. and, and damaging the scenery. So it's like as the National Park Service has entered into its new century, it's almost like we're going through growing pains all over and again. The, we had our 100 years of growth, and now we're starting this next 100 years, and there's definitely some growing pains that are happening. And my hope is for the park, however this shakes down, that our National Park Services continue to grow, that we actually continue to expand the amount of land that we protect, the monuments and the historical sites that we protect. And we take greater care to ensure that those will be there for another 100, 200, 300, 1,000 years from now. We'll see how this goes. I'll be interested to see when the new year comes along, what they decide to do at Zion and some of the more popular parks. So moving along. <laughs> Where are we? Because we forgot to bring that up. <laughs> we were so hot to talk about the national parks. This week, we are coming to you from just outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. sort of in between Milwaukee and Madison. We're in the Waukesha, Pewaukee area. All the Wisconsin town names. <laughs> I'm sorry, Wisconsin, if this offends you. Your town names kind of run together for me. (laughs) (laughs) The kids and I went to Tippecanoe Library today, which and I get they're all Native American names, which is great. uh, But a lot of them are similar (laughs) and multi-syllabic. It It can make it a little bit difficult (laughs) to figure out where you're going. But we are actually house sitting. We are not in Bussy right now. We are coming from a homeschool family's living room (laughs) that we are caring for their chickens and their cats while they are off in the sunny state of Florida. And it's actually uh, been really nice for us to be here. We've got some friends up in this area that are dear friends, and we are so happy to be able to spend time with them and reconnect and explore the Milwaukee-Madison area a little bit. We actually finished our bus conversion here we did uh, at a different friend's house we did just over a year ago or we finished the conversion enough so we could live in it, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, it'll it never wasn't, be finished it'll never be finished it's just like renovating anything it's, so it's never nice. quite done it's nice to be back here yeah we're also here for my stepmother is having a kidney transplant that's uh, our main reason for being in this area because she is going to be undergoing a kidney transplant on the day the podcast comes out and in we, Madison. In Madison. Uh, we. I'm sorry if this isn't the name. It's either the University of Wisconsin at Madison or the University. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Yeah. Hospital. We all have a really good outlook on this for her. Her brother is a donor. It's just been a really incredible experience for us all to go through and kind of watch the power of sibling love, unconditional love. And so for us to be able to have had this opportunity to stay in this area and be able to be here for Tammy and Jason's dad in any way that we can has been a real blessing. So uh, we'll be here for a few weeks and then we'll be heading on again. So send some the- some healing thoughts. Yes, Tammy would really way. like that. On that note, let's just take a little break. And when we come back, why don't we talk about what happens when you break down? <laughs> <laughs> Roadside assistance when we come back. All right, we are back with last week's brain teaser answer. Clear your throat. (laughs) And this was how it went. As a young boy, Sammy was always at the bottom of his class in mathematics. But in later life, this fact worked to his advantage. How come? And I gave two little clues because that was a little hard. Sammy was given a nickname that related to his poor mathematical ability. The nickname later became part of his stage name. So this is a real person. Do you have an idea who it is? No, I have no idea. Who is it? You're laughing. So I think I'm going to be like either 
Like I'm gonna want to smack you, or I'm gonna want to <laughs> smack myself. <laughs> this was this was this one was for for the older generation and the Broadway fans in in the group. Well, I should be in that second, you. maybe possibly first as well. But what <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Sammy's full name was Samuel Mostel. According to one explanation of the origin of his nickname, Zero, it was I'm given to him you. by his classmates. Because of his low marks. In later life, he became famous as the movie star and Broadway star Zero Mostel, partly due to his striking first name. I'm mad at you. Why couldn't <laughs> I have just had the guy's last name? <laughs> then it wouldn't be a brain teaser, would it? So let's talk about what happens when you find yourself stuck on the side of the road with Jason's brain teasers <laughs> and nowhere to go. <laughs> so roadside assistance is an important thing I think we agree on for RVers to carry yeah, when they're absolutely. out on the road. A really crucial thing. You might be comfortable paying to have your car towed if it breaks down, but to have your motorhome towed or your bus can get into the thousands of dollars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so paying a couple hundred dollars a year for roadside assistance can really save you a lot of money. It's like peace of mind. You know, you always think like, I'm going to purchase this. It's like carrying insurance and anything. I'm going to purchase this. And the odds of me needing it are really slim to none. Yeah. But oh my gosh, should I need it? I'm so glad it's there. And if I spent $250 for an entire year and never used it once, that is $250 of peace of mind that I am super happy to pay. The common thing people say about insurance, I think this goes with roadside assistance as well. If, if you're comfortable enough, if you're financially well off enough to pay for the thing when it happens, there's no need to insure it, right? But if you're not, then you should get some sort of insurance, in this case, roadside assistance, which is not insurance. No, it's not. Um, it's, we should make that clear. It's a completely separate entity. And if I confused anyone earlier with what I said, I'm still mad at Jason over the brain teaser. So. But it's an important <laughs> component because your insurance may not come with roadside assistance or it might not be good enough. And, and as a matter of fact, a lot of insurance companies do offer roadside assistance for free with your insurance, but it's usually not very good. It's usually low, very low rate. You're probably not going to be very happy with it. So the companies that offer roadside assistance, the, the three biggest ones that most RVers use are AAA, Good Sam, which is the big RV club offers a roadside assistance. You've and, maybe seen them if you've been in a camping <laughs> world. And Good Sam, and it's not to be confused with Good Sam club membership or no, no, Good, no, Good no. Sam's extended warranty. Those are separate things. Their extended warranty might include roadside assistance. It just depends. But but this is a it's a separate product from the company. Right. And the third one is And the third one is CoachNet. And yes. uh that's Coach dash net just to state right off the bat we have coach net yes. we're big fans of coach net and i'm going to talk about them third and tell you why we're big fans of them but just to quickly talk about the different options they all sort of offer a lot of the same stuff the big important stuff the main thing they're going to tow you they're going to come fix a flat they're going to bring you fuel if you run out they're going to help you out if you're locked out of your your rv or your car and i'm going to sort of compare the premier packages with these three companies because uh, a couple of them have have sort of lesser packages that don't include as much um, but you pretty much want the premier package and they encourage you to get the premier package with all of them and it you of know, course they do it, 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 it makes <laughs> like... the most sense when you look at the options but the thing is they all include a bunch of little sort of add-on things and the thing i want you to think about when you look at these roadside assistance programs is that, you know, when one says they're going to pay your legal bills if you get into an accident, make sure that that sort of stuff is stuff you're going to use if, you, if you're really going to consider using this, you know, these companies. So for instance, AAA offers, they will pay your legal bills if you get into an accident and you're sued up to $2,000. So they'll pay for one hour for you to be with a lawyer. <laughs> is is it going to be enough? Is that going to be enough for you? Is the chance of that happening even worth it? I don't think that that is something that you should be considering when you're choosing between these companies. CoachNet gives you a discount off of a, an insurance company, hotel and motel discounts when you're broken down, that sort of thing. 
those things, they just don't matter as much as the big deal. Are they going to tell you, is the service going to be good? Are they going to take care of you? How far are they going to tell you? How many times a year can they tell you? That sort of stuff. So AAA, the difficulty, just to throw this right there right off the bat, there's I don't recommend getting AAA RV service. Sorry, AAA. And the reason for that is AAA, there, I've just heard from too many people that have too many issues because AAA is actually a collection of separate motor clubs across the country. So when you sign up with AAA, you're in your regional motor club. And people have had so many problems when they're outside of their region getting service. The thing you need to know about all these services is they just contract with the the people that come and tow you, right? They find them and they send them to you. Those companies don't work for AAA or CoachNet or Good Sam. Those companies are just getting paid. I have time and time and time again seen people say that AAA said, They could not find somebody near them, even if they were in a decent sized town um, that was willing to come out. And that's because they don't have somebody contracted with them. And I've also seen people that have been turned around for an RV tow when they are outside of their local motor club where they signed up for RV service. So I think until... AAA can be truly nationwide and clear about exactly what its rules are, what its policies are nationwide. I don't think I can recommend people get AAA. Yeah, and considering that one of the two times that we've had to be towed, we were being towed from, I mean, what was literally like the middle of nowhere, Illinois. I shudder to think what could have happened, what would have happened if we had had triple A, because I would be really surprised if we would have had someone be in contract who would have come and got us. So your next option is Good Sam. And Good Sam offers a very similar service to AAA. Both of them will tow you up to 200 miles wherever you want to be towed. So if it's beyond 200 miles, usually you're going to pay for the additional miles of the tow. It doesn't mean, you know, you have to pay for the whole tow, but if the tow is 250 miles and that tow company charges per mile, you're going to have to Cha-ching. kick in that extra money. <laughs> um, with both services, if you find a tow truck, if they can't find one for you and you find one, usually you can get reimbursed and that's a process and, you know, it has to get approved and all that and it takes time. And it's a big chunk of change to lay out. If it's we, really expensive. If we got our bus towed, I mean, we've seen a tow bill for our bus to go not very far, is above $1,000. Are you talking about when they towed us from Belton to Liberty, Missouri? Yeah. Yeah, that was... I mean, that's not very far at all. No, I think that was probably under 50 miles. So if you, you know, you might not have the cash to, to lay out and get reimbursed for that. So that can be something to consider. People do seem to have a lot more success with Good Sam. Their network seems to be a little bit bigger or have a further reach. It does seem like when we get into CoachNet and Good Sam, the thing to think about too is they really know RVs. When you call AAA, you're getting an because there's such a massive network uh, for roadside assistance. You're getting somebody who knows who is a dispatcher, you know, for vehicles. When you call Good Sam or CoachNet, they're really going to have a much better idea of what type of RV you have. And what type of vehicle needs to come out to tow that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's important. I mean, for us, we've got a 25,000-pound bus. It needs a big, you know, semi-wrecker to tow it. Man, those tow trucks, the two times we've had the bus towed, those things were massive. Like, what came and got the bus? I mean, thank goodness, you know, we were able to, like, get people out there to tow poor Wander Bus when she was broken. But that's an experience, just sitting there watching your rig get towed away it's so sad good sam and triple a aren't super clear about their fees they kind of change depending on oh if you're gonna book two years or what level of service you have but it's gonna range somewhere in the 100 to 160 dollar range coachnet which is the company that we have and we have had really great experiences Mm -hmm. with they have just raised their rates um, but they do list them they charge $250 a year for motorhomes, and they charge... They didn't just raise their rates. 
they raised their rates. Like when we, the last time we had our plan, we paid 160 for the year. Yeah. And now when we have to renew, it'll be 249. And their towable RV plan for uh, fifth wheels and travel trailers is going to be $179. But here's the thing. CoachNet is not going, and I mean, I'm just saying this from our experience. Yeah, like we do not get anything from CoachNet for talking about CoachNet. Let's just, I want to make sure that's very clear. First of all, when you call up CoachNet, the person you're talking to or the person they will transfer you to is going to be essentially an auto mechanic. Yes. That's going to have an idea of how to diagnose the problem, whether they need to send out a mobile technician that might be able to fix it on site whether they need to send you a tow truck that needs to pull you somewhere and and fix it there. What kind of shop do they need to take you to? Is it going to need to be a transmission shop? You know, they're very good at figuring that stuff out. And we have been down all of those paths with them because when (laughs) (laughs) when we had the, when we had an issue the first time with the bus, we had a technician come out this is when we were at my parents in Kansas City. We had a technician come out. He couldn't really see an issue. So he then called in a tow truck. And then the tow truck took it to the appropriate mechanic because they thought it was either some brakes or potentially the transmission. Yeah. Unfortunately, a few months later, it ended up being the transmission that blew in like southern Illinois. And we ended up then having to have another tow take us to a transmission, someone who could put a brand new transmission. Yeah. But if, if CoachNet doesn't have a service contract with somebody in your area, they, they it doesn't matter. They, they'll hire somebody and they'll pay yeah. for it. They'll give them a credit card if they have to over the phone. CoachNet, when we had that tow, they towed us to a service station. It was a Sunday. They weren't That place wasn't open charged us for a tow from their lot into the service bay that was enough that was going to be another almost three hundred dollars uh and that was on the bill i called coach net up they said absolutely no problem we will fix it right away they called that station and they paid for it right then and there and took care of it and they constantly check in with you to make sure your service provider has come and has done everything they're supposed to I just can't recommend the quality of service that you get with CoachNet enough. The other thing you're going to get with CoachNet, and this is sort of a double-edged sword, is CoachNet will tow you an unlimited number of miles, but they will only tow you to the nearest service station that can fix your vehicle. Yeah. And if it, you know, if they end up being wrong, they'll take it somewhere else. But that's some that's something that's a sticking point with some people with CoachNet and why they choose Good Sam. And AAA, because with Good Sam and AAA, you can send you can tell them to send it wherever you want. You can have it sent to your house if you want, mm-hmm. but they're only going to go 200 miles. Yeah, so you have to break down within a 200 mile radius right. of the shop or your home. But if you are in the middle of boondocking out nowhere, Nevada, and it's more than 200 miles to the nearest place that's going to fix it, CoachNet's going to come in really handy. I mean, you could be going. Yeah. The other things that CoachNet are going to provide, their coverage is going to include all of your vehicles, whether you have your RV with you or not. So this is your roadside assistance for your your automobiles as well. And it's going to cover the member, their spouse, and all their dependent children under 24 years old. So your kids in college, you know, it's going to cover all them for all your personal vehicles owned, rented, borrowed, or leased. So if you borrow somebody's car you know, you have a U-Haul or whatever, they're going to cover you. So that's really handy. They've got the technical assistance hotline, which we talked about. They will actually bring you a tire. If we So if our motorhome bus, bus does not have, we don't have a spare. Nope. And a lot of people with vehicles as big as ours don't have a spare. And this is something else that can be different from the other companies is that they're going to hook you up with a mobile tire service that will actually bring you a tire instead of just changing your spare. It's going to actually put the tire that you need on for you to get you on the road. They're going to take care of you as long as you're within a hundred feet of a named road. So, or if you're in a commercial campground of some sort, 
I think this is pretty standard across the roadside assistance. So it's something to remember if you're out there boondocking, you're driving out to the, you know, the middle of BLM land somewhere, stay within a hundred feet of a road so that your roadside assistance is going to cover you because <laughs> they will not. You they know, will not come will 102 not come. feet in. They will not. <laughs> I, I've heard that. I don't, you know, I don't know they will how count. true it is. They but. will count the 100 feet and then they will say, you need to push this rig two feet and then we'll come help you. <laughs> um, they're going to help you out with discounts on uh, vehicle rental, hotel rooms and, and things like that. Um, but again, like I said, those are sort of ancillary things. Yeah. A lot of the reasons why people go to AAA is because they do have great discounts out there you know you get a good discount to disney world a lot of people like that i like that (laughs) i like Um, that a lot but i again i don't think that that's the most important thing to consider when you're choosing a roadside assistance well to each their own jason (laughs) to each their own absolutely sure do your homework do your homework and and figure out what you want to use but but do make sure you get specific rv roadside assistance not just the one that comes with your your rv insurance right Uh, because i mean honestly we've we have paid we would have paid thousands of dollars in tows for our bus if we didn't have CoachNet. so what we should do now is just take a wee little break and then when we come back we're gonna go underground talk about mammoth caves and then jason's gonna give us another brain teaser Earlier this year, we visited Mammoth Cave in Kentucky, which is, it's right about in the middle of the state, off of Interstate 65, near Bowling Green, Kentucky. Yes. And it is just a wonderful place. It's Mammoth. <laughs> it's Mammoth. I mean, and the name is like no joke. As the name might suggest, Mammoth Cave is about the size of the caves. And the history of Mammoth Cave goes way back and it's really interesting if you get into it and it sort of came to be around the time that people were having the niagara falls craze that it's actually one of the most popular tourist attractions in the country rivaling niagara falls because of it's just unique location there's not a lot of national parks around that area and just because of the interesting caves and the size of them inside yeah i think it's really about the opportunity to what you can do. I mean, for us, and I don't think going caving is something people do on a very regular basis. And for us, this was a park we had been wanting to get to for a really long time. I mean, for probably the majority of the decade or so that we have been together, we have always talked about wanting to go to Mammoth Cave. And it really did not disappoint. And in fact, it just sort of exceeded my expectations. And we talked a little bit about this in a travel journal that we wrote for Our Wandering Family. Words and even pictures cannot do this space justice. This is one of those parks that you just have to experience for yourself in order to fully understand why this park is so popular, why this park when people go to talk about it afterwards, have sort of like this gleam in their eye of like what they experienced. There are a lot of caves throughout the Midwest, and we've we've been to a lot of caves. Mammoth is just so different than all of those caves because it's yeah. it's formed differently. It's formed from underground rivers and layers of rock. So it's not full of a lot of the formations that you might be used to, stalactites yeah. and stalagmites, although there is a little section called the frozen niagara tour that we did mm-hmm. that did have a lot of that but m- for the most part it's just these i mean you feel like you're in tunnels and you feel like you're in a different world ceilings. it's a it's it's very strange yeah and i think for us in the few cave tours that we've done those cave tours are always really specific about one particular type of cave or one particular type of aspect that you can see underground whereas mammoth sort of like is all of them, like in this one area. You know, they say, I think at this point, that there's 390 miles of mapped caves in five levels under the surface. 
And that like that isn't even like that's like the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, they they think there could be as much as a thousand miles of of mapped caves. And you think about a thousand miles is a long distance. Well, and how exciting is that to have a national park, a cave system that is still being discovered? Like they are still actively inside that cave, moving through it, and they are moving through pitch black dark waters. I mean, they are moving through places where, you know, they have a particular tour that is about six and a half hours long, and you have to be a particular size, a particular height in order to go on this tour. And the tour is called Wild Cave Tour. Six miles of grounds this tour will cover, but they have some really very specific requirements in order for you to participate, age requirements as well. Because it covers such a section of mammoth that like not everyone can go to. Now, we didn't do that, obviously, for a lot of reasons. Mm. Part of it being that we had three small little people with us and we kind of stuck to what was more family friendly. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But man, that cave tour, that's that's like on my bucket list of things I would love to do. This national park has a great visitor center. And for being a park that is about caves, it has a lot of great outdoor space as well. So you don't have to be spending all your time underground. There are trails to hike. There's a river. Yes. Um, yeah, there's so, cool stuff. there's so much going on above ground as much as there is below ground. And so while we were there, we did two tours. The first was the self-guided discovery tour, which is probably one of the more popular tours in the park just because of accessibility for a lot of people there's not a lot of walking involved in this particular tour and also because it's self-guided so you can go at your own pace but it takes you into this massive dome shaped area that it's so hard to describe I can't do it justice but when you come down the steps and you come around the tunnel entrance and then you hit that big dome room, it just takes your breath away. You didn't know that something like that underground could exist. Yeah. And on this tour, you get to see also a a saltpeter mine that was manned by slaves when the cave was first discovered by modern man. And that was being used during the Civil War. It actually was before the Civil War. It was the War of 1812. Oh, that's right. Oh, I'm so glad you remembered. They were making gunpowder for the War of 1812. The, The cave was really discovered by modern man in the uh, early eight, very early 1800s. Yeah, it, they had. They also discovered that Native Americans had been there thousands of years before. Yeah, and were go- had gone as far as eight miles in, incredible. using only reeds that were you know. It's as, incredible. As yeah, and they have a really interesting display inside the the dome room of like what some of the Native Americans would have used to continue to travel through that cave. And that was, I mean, again, I'm just going to say this word like over and over probably, like that was fascinating to see. So we highly recommend that tour, I think is a great introduction to the cave itself. We happened to go um, over Earth Day weekend. And so that particular tour was actually free and open to the public. The following day we came back and the next tour we did was called the frozen niagara yeah tour. and that's the one that had more yes. of the formation if you're so if you're not familiar with caves if you haven't done a lot of cave tours i think it's it's absolutely worth doing worth doing. yeah for sure um i think if you've experienced a lot of the midwestern caves if you've gone to merrimack caverns uh, places like that you might want to do something that is more mammoth yeah. orientated because you're going to see a lot of the same stuff that you would see at those other places. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I would agree with you on that. I would also counter that by saying that this is a short quarter mile trip. It's great for families. One of the interesting things about it though, is that you do get an opportunity to have like, um, some lower ceilings. There are a lot of stairs. You get to kind of squeeze in tight in a few places, you know, just kind of like get to interact a little bit more with the cave. And, you know, we did this tour with our three kids. You cannot wear, like you cannot baby wear. You can do um, a front baby wear in a soft carrier, 
but you... You can't put them on a backpack. You cannot put them in a backpack or on your back. And so those are kind of some things to consider if you do have a smaller one whose legs might get a little bit tired. But I felt for our age range, and at that time we had a nine, a six, and a three-year-old, they all handled that quarter mile tour spectacularly. So I think it is a little bit more family friendly. And we had talked to the Rangers and that was another one that they had mentioned was a family friendly hike. And also just easier too, if you don't want to be in there for two and a half or three hours, this was again, another one of those where we felt it was a little short. We wanted to keep going, but it's also gets you kind of in, into the cave and then back out. Yeah, I mean, they call it a two-hour tour, I think, or an hour 45. Yeah. But most of that time was riding on the bus to get to it. They have really nice buses, too. Yeah. We, I, I wanted one. I wanted to convert one. When, so <laughs> when you go on a cave tour and it takes you to a different entrance, you start at the main visitor center, they throw you on a bus, and they take you to it, yes. which is nice. So we did those two tours. Another really great thing about Mammoth is that they have a hotel attached yeah. to their visitor center and connected by a little bridge, but they have this hotel that's there and they had a really great little ice cream shop that we actually went to twice. The kids loved it. I'm sure they would want me to tell you all that they recommend the blue moon. They really liked (laughs) the way it turned their tongues blue. Um, But that was really quaint and cute. And we sat in there, we had some ice cream, their waffle cones are so good. And we checked out the hotel a little bit. And that could absolutely be an option for you if camping doesn't really work out because the sites at Mammoth are primitive. There are no hookups. There are nearby commercial campgrounds. There are absolutely nearby commercial campgrounds. We opted to stay about an hour away from Mammoth. We stayed at another Army Corps of Engineers campground. So we're going to tell you all about how much we loved this one, too, because we love our Army Corps of Engineer campgrounds. This one was called Bailey's Point, and it was on the Barren River Lake. And it was just a really interesting like layout for this campground, a lot of hills and a lot of the campsites were, I was impressed. Sort of by carved the, into the hill. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. say this in the article I wrote about this trip, but I mean, those of you who backed up these like rigs into their spots, you guys were like bosses. <laughs> I mean, you, I was super impressed. And there were some people that they would have to really gun it to go backwards to get their trailer in. But if they gunned it too much... <laughs> <laughs> they were going to just bump right over that back. Yeah, and it may sound like a campground on a hill might not sound appealing to some people, but these sites, they're all very level. Very level, very um, level. And the nice thing about them being on a hill is you're looking over your neighbor yes. at, at the lake. So you don't have a, a neighbor that you're you're looking out your window staring at their camper. You're looking over it. Yeah. So cool. And beautiful views. Beautiful sunsets on this lake. We had just some spectacular sunsets. And one of the things I will always remember about this is, do you remember our last night? We went for a walk. We took the kids over to the playground. But as we were making our way around one of the loops, there were a group of gentlemen over in by their RV, and they were they were playing music. They had like a banjo and an acoustic guitar. And I think one guy was even just banging on a wash tub or something. Yeah, and it was the opening weekend of the, this campground for the season. And this group of friends gets together and does this every year on that opening weekend. And it was really one of those was, experiences that just randomly happened that you don't expect. And it yeah. Was really and we stood awesome. there for a while and we listened to them play and a few other people like gathered around. And again, it was like Jason just said, one of those experiences that you, you can't plan for these things to happen. They just kind of have to happen organically. And I think that's one of the great things about being in a campground is so many different people with so many different like ways to enjoy nature come together. And organically, these kind of like experiences happen where we had these guys who were just jamming. They were just making music. they didn't have like it wasn't like let's sing this literally one guy would just start playing and the other guys would come in they just knew it was really cool it was really cool it's a large campground um it's huge very large good boat ramp Mm -hmm. accessibility for boating if you want to do bathrooms were clean nice bathrooms it is in the middle of nowhere and like we said an hour away from mammoth and that is a trade-off there's not much in terms of services nearby 
No, that's something to really think about when you go to Mammoth. There isn't a whole lot in and around Mammoth. So don't expect to be able to be like, let's go out to eat at, you know, the local Applebee's or let's go catch a movie one night or something. Like if you're going to Mammoth, you're kind of really just going for yeah, Mammoth. And, but it's not primitive around Mammoth. No, but, but... But this camp... I mean, there are a couple towns right at Mammoth, but this campground yes, is remote. But our drive, and it was an hour, but our drive from the campground to Mammoth... We didn't encounter anything. No. You're going there for Mammoth, and Mammoth is enough, but there's not going to be like a whole lot of other stuff to do, like if you were at the Smoky Mountains or you were at the Hot Springs. But it's also just another hour trip into Bowling Green if you wanted to go to Bowling Green where you can visit the Corvette Museum, and it's a that's a big town that's got a lot of stuff to do. So one of our favorite things at, at Mammoth, though, was the fact that we got to meet a ranger. His name is Jerry Bransford. Yes. I'm so glad you remembered this. And he is a fifth generation cave guide. There was a, a gap in his family guiding the caves, but he is a, he is now a cave guide at Mammoth Cave. And his family members have been giving cave tours since the cave tours really began back when slaves were the cave guides. And his ancestors were slaves and they gave cave tours until the national park service took over mammoth cave which was great that it became a national park but when the national park service took over blacks were not allowed to be cave guides and work as employees Uh, and as a matter of fact they weren't allowed to go into the cave so as a child he would go and visit the cave with his dad on the outside and his dad would tell him the stories of his family being, you know, some of the first cave guides, some of the first ones that explored much of the caves, but they couldn't go in. And uh, a few years back, the National Park Service actually approached him and offered him a job. And Jerry Bransford has been giving cave tours for a while now, and he's become sort of a pseudo celebrity in the area. It is a really, it's a heartbreaking and heartwarming story at the same time. There's a lot of levels to the history behind Mammoth in regards to the cave guides. And one of the reasons why Jason brought this gentleman up was that, you know, we had done a junior ranger program with our boys and we had gone through the visitor center and we had seen this ranger in one of the videos that they had there. We finished our junior ranger program and it came time for us to go up and have the boys do their oath. And he was there and just by accident or whatever you want to call it, we were able to meet him and talk to him for a little bit. And he gave our boys the oath for their junior ranger. And I think that that will probably always be the most memorable junior ranger experience that I have participated in getting to talk to him and meet him in person and sort of hear his story. And then the way he interacted with the boys and the questions that he asked them and the time he took to get to know them was awesome. He was great. And he does not want to be recognized and he does not want to be a celebrity. He just wants to be a ranger and do his thing. And he was very much like, no, 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 (laughs) don't, (laughs) don't call me a celebrity of Mammoth Cave. That's not what I am. I am a park ranger. Yeah. So Mammoth Cave is a, it's a world heritage site. It is considered one of the seven wonders of the United States. It's, it's a place that really you should not miss if, especially if you're traveling through that area, don't skip it. You shouldn't. Not at all. We highly recommend it. Go get ye underground. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, let's do our brain teaser for this week. Yeah, let's wrap it up. A man was driving alone in his car listening to his favorite cassette. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all remember cassette tapes. Let me go get my Walkman. (laughs) (laughs) For you youngins out there. Oh, my goodness. Our kids are going to listen to this because our 10-year-old is, yeah, he's going to ask us what a cassette is. A man was driving alone in his car listening to his favorite cassette when he accidentally ejected it from its slot onto the floor of the car, which was already littered with used audio tapes. Without taking his eyes off the road, he rummaged under his seat, picked up the correct tape, and reinserted it. How did he manage that? 
Dun, dun, dun. I just, I have like <laughs> so many issues with this. Like my first question was like, oh man, do you know how difficult it's going to be to fast forward to the spot he was at <laughs> when it like ejected? No, it's going to be at the same spot it was at unless he puts it in the wrong direction. Then he's going to be on a whole nother song. Yeah. Well, and then my other issue was like, why has he got so many of these things on the floor? Like... <laughs> What's going on? Clearly, you didn't drive in the days of cassette tapes. Cause... No, I did, but I had a cassette tape holder. You do remember like the long rectangular, like plastic, hard plastic box that had a slot that you could put each cassette case into, and then that way you could keep them all organized and the labels would be up and you'd be able to tell immediately like, oh, I need that Debbie Gibson out of the blue cassette tape right now. My, <laughs> my first car only had AM radio, no cassette player, no air conditioning. My first <laughs> now. <laughs> that sounds like it was my not first that car. my car was not of my generation. <laughs> Let me say that I had a 1984 <laughs> Volkswagen Rabbit. That was nice. my first car. Nice. Yeah, and it had no power steering. <laughs> Mine was a Chevy Celebrity. No, that wasn't my. It was my second car that didn't have the that had the radio. It was a Chevy Celebrity. It was gray. <laughs> like, it was gray. It was like a gray that you, it looked like it never got painted. Like, Mine it looked like it crazy just came off silver, the lot. Yes. Just gray. <laughs> back when. Flat gray. <laughs> back when, like, you could go and put five bucks of gas in your car and get over five gallons because gas was only like 96 cents and I'd get five gallons and then I'd be like, I see ya, I got to get to the mall in my 1984 Volkswagen Rabbit. And my first car was a Chevy Astro van, which you could tow a travel trailer <laughs> with. You cannot do that with a minivan these days. No, but you cannot. Back then. It was a beast. A Chevy Astro, definitely. You could. Oh my goodness. Anyway. <laughs> wow. That was quite the like. Tangent. Yes. Memory lane. Anyway, we will have the answer to that puzzler and so many more fun things on <laughs> next week's episode of the RV Miles podcast. So keep logging those RV Miles, guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.